As those children are being dismissed, I invite you to take your scriptures back to Jeremiah chapter 32. Just about two years ago, my father passed away, and I think about him, and one of the things that comes to my mind when I remember my dad is that every, just about every Sunday night um, after the evening service, I'd go home and uh, I'd call my dad on the phone and we would talk together, and for many, many years, more than I can remember, um, I always thought that um, calling my dad was something that I was doing for him. Um, but what I realized over time, and even now as I look back, uh, he went to the, being the Lord in heaven, was that really it was for me. Um, the dialogues that we had about issues, the questions I would ask him to get his perspective, um, I needed those talks. Um, I really enjoyed those talks, and even to this day, uh, some of the principles and truths that he taught me as we had conversations on the phone still stick with me. I, I needed that weekly call. And, and as we go into 2021, can I remind you, um, you and I need to dialogue with God. Um, not just weekly, um, daily. And truthfully, more than that, more than one time a day. Um, I, I'm convinced that what we need as a church and what we need as individuals going into 2021 is to be constantly having conversations with God, um, especially during a national disaster or pandemic like we're facing. I mean, that's what was happening in Jeremiah's day. You read a little bit of it this morning, or I read that to you. Um, it was in the middle of a national disaster. The Babylonians were right outside the walls. They were building siege ramps. And right in the middle of a disaster, what Jeremiah took time to do, what Jeremiah realized he needed to do, was to talk with God. And so you see it in our text. It kind of frames the two paragraphs I read. Verse 16 starts out with this. The words of Jeremiah uh, talking to the Lord. And so it says he prayed. But the very next paragraph, down in verse 26, says the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And see, that's really what a relationship, a personal relationship with God is all about. Prayer, as we go into prayer week, prayer is you talking to God. And then the Bible is God talking to you. And see, that's a relationship. It's not just you reading the Bible or not just you praying. It's not a one-way conversation. It's not a monologue that he's after. It's a dialogue. And, and it's obvious this morning, and I think this would be true in the Bible and also in our personal lives, that certainly God and what he has to say to us is far more important than what we have to say to him. But both are necessary. In fact, God's words, when I read the Bible and, and pray in the morning, I always do them in that order. I, I read God's word first, and then I pray second, because, as I've taught my discipleship group, what God says informs and often transforms what I say to him in prayer. In fact, the things that I do pray about, whether it's personal needs of individuals, People who are lost, need spiritual growth, things that are taking place in our church. Um, I let God's word inform me about how I pray about those situations. Because there's a danger in prayer, and that is that conversations with God can remain at times what we think is just mere exchanges of information. That I talk to God in prayer and I give him some of my thoughts and ideas and feelings. And then I talk to God. God talks to me in the Bible and he gives me some of his ideas. But see, it's way, way more than that. Um, can I say this to you? Um, when we go to pray, uh, we don't just need to know about God. 
We need to know God. And so when we pray, and, and maybe you've experienced this or maybe you haven't, maybe you're afraid of it, but when we pray, we are not just robots without feelings. And I, I joke around a little bit, but I, it's like Star Trek. You know, you have Captain Kirk, who everything is a hunch, everything is a gut feeling, everything is by his emotions. He's erratic with them, if you ever watch Star Trek. But then you have Spock, and Spock basically almost has no feelings. He's a, a stoic face, and he, he doesn't get excited, and he doesn't lose his temper, and he doesn't let feelings control him. So you have Captain Kirk, who is way over here, and you have Spock that is way over here. And I think sometimes that's how we approach emotions when it comes to praying. But in the, in, in, in the case... Uh, of Star Trek, that may be true, but it can't be true in our lives. So we are not Stoics who avoid emotion at all costs, and we do not go to God just to pour out our, our emotions and tell him how we feel and think that that's prayer in and of itself. So our, our goal is not to exclude our emotions, and our goal is not to explode our emotions, but our, our God wants us to come to him and express our emotions through prayer, because when we pray our emotions and we read the Bible, see, we're able to filter those emotions. We're able to come to God with the true feelings and, and, and the emotions of our heart, but not in a way that is about ourselves. Can I show you how it looks in the text? Uh, Jeremiah prays, and he starts out with an emotional little terse phrase, and he concludes with one. And, and it's easy to run over them in the text. But remember... This is a guy who's praying from the royal prison. Um, he is behind bars, and outside the walls of Jerusalem are the Babylonians. So he's surrounded by bars, and he's surrounded by Babylonians. And God is going to judge his people. And he doesn't know what's going to happen to Israel. He doesn't know what's going to happen to himself. And so there's a lot of emotion going on. And so here's how it starts. Look at verse 17. He says, Ah, Lord God. And, and the Hebrew, it, all those words are really there. Even the ah is there. It's an emotional term. And, and I took the time, you know, Jeremiah says that phrase, ah, Lord God, it's emotionally laden, and he says it four times in this prophecy. Chapter 1, verse 6, when he is overwhelmed by the fact that God, as a young man, is calling him to be the prophet, he says, ah, Lord God, don't you know I'm just a young man? I don't think I can do all the things you're asking. And he says, ah, Lord God. He, he's doubting himself. He's full of emotion. He doesn't think he can do what God asked him to do. The second time he says, ah, Lord God, is chapter 4 and verse 10. And it's when Jeremiah is knowing that God is bringing the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to bring judgment. And so he prays to God again, and he says, ah, Lord God, and he's trying to understand what God is doing in Israel's history. A third time, chapter 14 and verse 13, Jeremiah is overwhelmed, but this time he's so overwhelmed, and he wants to pray to God, but God says, no, I'm judging your people, and I don't want you to pray to me about it. God's verdict is final, and so he's overwhelmed. He says, ah, Lord God, and he says, stop praying to me about it. And then we have the climax, the fourth time, is in our text. And, and so here's Jeremiah coming to God, and he prays, Ah, Lord God. You know what that little emotional phrase really represents? Doubts. Frustrations. Maybe even a little impatience. Uh, a certainly uncertainty. Certainly sorrow. Certainly pain. See, he's, he feels all those things. When he looks around him, 
He's upset. He, he doesn't know how to comprehend it all. It just doesn't connect in every piece for him. But at the end of the prayer, he says another little emotive statement. You see it in the text? He says in verse 25, Yet you, O Lord God, you have said to me, see, see it there? Yet you, O Lord God, and I've looked that up, and Jeremiah says it, and just about every major Old Testament figure prays this way. Abraham, Gideon, Samson, Moses, Saul, David. The O Lord God, and it's a term of emotion, but laden with reverence. It's O Lord God, and it's usually about how great you are, how awesome you are, and God, I love you, and I worship you. And see, he's got both of them because in a pandemic and when you're struggling and when you're going through a crisis and you're not sure to what to make of all of it, why God's doing everything he's doing in America, why is he doing this in your family, why has he let this happen, what is going on in your life, and see, God says, see, it's okay. In prayer week, he wants, you to, let, he wants to let you know it's okay to come to me with your emotions and with your feelings, but see, what he wants to say is, but bring them to me in prayer, Bring them to me, and I'll filter them through the word of God. When I speak to you and you speak to me, see, I'm going to make check, give you a check on your emotions. I want you to know how your emotions should work and how you should feel about things and how you should respond to them. Because God says, I know you're in pain. I know you don't understand. And I know that you don't understand exactly everything that's going on. But you need to bring it to me. You bring it to me, and I'm going to tell you what I'm doing, and that's going to give you the right emotive response. You will always, hear me, you will always struggle emotionally in hard times if all you ever do is look around and not look above. See, Jeremiah looked around and saw bars and Babylonians. He did. He didn't know what the future was. He didn't know what God was actually doing. He was confused by some things. But listen to what, but you know what he did? He looked above. And, and we've got to keep both of those together in 2021. It's easy to look around and say, when are the masks? When do we have to stop wearing these things? When can we go back to normal? When is, and see, if you, all you do is look around, your emotions are going to control you. And you're going to get angry and you're going to get frustrated and you're going to get bitter. And if things happen to you in 2021 that you weren't preparing for and they're very negative, or they're hard to deal with, see, it's going to be a struggle for you. It really is. Because it's one thing to face a national disaster, but in verse 25, did you know Jeremiah faced a personal disaster? Because he's going to go through, and I'm going to show you in a minute, he's going to go through all these things he knows about God. And he says, but Lord, yet, it's not only what you're doing in Israel and bringing the Babylonians But in the middle of all this, when you know they're going to take the land over and the land's going to be theirs and they're going to have it and he's going to find out for 70 years, here's what God tells them before our text. I want you to go and I want you to buy off of one of your cousins. I want you to buy a piece of land and I want you to pay 17 shekels of silver. And here's Jeremiah. I don't get it. God, I get it. I get this part. Let me show you what he gets. He says in chapter 32, verse 17, look at it. You have made heaven and earth. Now, parallel that with 32.23. You have made this disaster come upon us. So he's putting things together. See how he's working it through? They're parallel statements. God, I know that you've done all these positive things in Israel's history. You made heaven and earth. And so he goes through them and goes through the major events. You made heaven and earth. In other words, you created everything. 
And then here's what you did, God, by your outstretched arm, Exodus language, you brought us out of Egypt and out of bondage and out of slavery. And then he goes on to tell you, hey, and then you brought us into the promised land. So you have creation, you have Exodus, and then you have conquest. And he even says the phrase everybody knows, and you brought us to a place filled with milk and honey, right? And, and you gave us the land, and you defeated our enemies. And then he says, but now, God, the Babylonians are outside. And he says in verse 34, 20, I'm sorry, verse 24, there are siege mounds. And there are sword is coming, and famine is coming, he says in verse 24, and pestilence. And every time siege mounds were what they did around your city when they were building up ramps so that they could go across the top of your wall and invade your city. And I won't even be able, I won't even tell you, because it's too graphic, the atrocities of what people did to one another, their enemies, when they went over the walls of the city. It was horrendous. And Jeremiah is taking all of this in, and he looks around him, and here's what he says. God, I know you did this. And then he says the little phrase, there's nothing too hard for you, God. You created the heavens and the earth. You made Israel a nation. You brought us out of Egypt with signs and wonders. God, you have a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and you've done all these things, and you brought us into the land, and you defeated the Philistines and all the enemies that we had. Nothing's too hard for you, God. And here's what I would say. Jeremiah gets the theology of it. He gets the history of it. He knows as he looks in the past and he prays, God, I know what you've done in the past. I get it. In fact, so much he summarizes it. Look at 3224. What you spoke has come to pass. Every time you talk, God, every time you say something, it happens because your word never fails. But he even gets this. God, and I know why. I know why the Babylonians are outside the walls. You know what he says? Because they have done nothing of all that you've commanded them. See the little word nothing? He uses it once in verse 23, twice in verse 30. In other words, God, your people are the cause of the disaster. They have brought this on themselves, and here's why. Because they didn't think that they needed to keep your word. They have not obeyed your word. God, you have kept your word, but they have not kept your word. And so here's what he says. See the difference? Oh, Lord God, I'm so so upset. I'm so frustrated. I don't know. And God, I know that you're bringing judgment. I know you're bringing the Babylonians. But here's what I don't get. I understand the natural disaster, the the national disaster in Israel. But what about me? Why in the world would you want me from a prison cell to buy a piece of property when the Babylonians are going to take it, and I'm not even going to live to be able to see it or use it ever. God, why? Why would you do that? Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever prayed that? Have you ever felt that over the last nine months? Have you ever just raised your hand, and maybe not exactly these words, but you ever said, ah, oh, Lord God, I mean, God, what's going on? Why do you bring this now? Why is this happening in our country? Why is this happening across the globe? What are you trying to do, God? And then you say, God, let me funnel it down. I don't get all this stuff way out here in the pandemic and all that, but God, let me funnel it down to my own personal life. Yet, here's what he says, but God, here's what you said to me. Here's how this whole thing's affecting me. You want me from a prison to go buy a piece of land that I'm never going to use, I'm never going to see any benefit out of, and you want me to spend 17 shekels of silver, which was a weighty amount of money, 
And the Babylonians are right outside the wall. What are you doing, God? And see, when we come to God and we're in those type of circumstances and those types of situations and we pray to him and we have those emotions and we have those feelings and we have those questions, God says, bring them, but bring them in prayer so that I can filter them as you pray to me and as you read my word. So God says, I want you to make this public act. And God even goes through all the details. I want you to get witnesses I want you to put it, and this is how they did deeds. They put it on public notification so that publicly everyone can see you bought it. And then you take a copy of the deed and you put it in an earned vessel and you put it in the ground so that it could be lasting and permanent. And that's what God says for Jeremiah to do. And Jeremiah does it all. And he does it all. He says, God, I know there's nothing too hard for you and I'll do it, but I don't get it. I don't get it. But see, he's going to learn something Because God says, I don't want you just to know about me. I want you to know me. I want you to know what the phrase, nothing too hard for me, really means. Because in our text, it's used twice. Once in verse 17, because Jeremiah says it to God. But a second time in the form of a question, when God says it to Jeremiah. See, it's virtually identical in wording. But what the two statements represent and what it means to Jeremiah and what it means to God are very, very different from one another. See, God says in verse 27 to Jeremiah, he says, is anything too hard for me? Let me show you, Jeremiah, what I mean by it. I know what you mean by it. That somehow when there's nothing too hard and I can do wonderful things and supernatural, powerful things, I know what you think it should mean. But let me tell you what I mean think it should mean. And see, he's not going to have his emotions fixed. He's not going to have the right perspective. He's not going to see everything right until he not only prays, but he hears the word of God. Can you see how important it is to keep the two of them together in your life and this year? See, as you look around and you see things and you're going to be upset and you're going to have this emotion and you bring it to God in prayer and that's great and and God filters it. But listen, you're never going to get the right perspective and you're never going to change and grow emotionally if you don't filter all of it through what God's word says. And so Jeremiah prays and then he listens to what God says. And God says in verse 27, Behold, Now, if you'll notice in the text where he prayed, Jeremiah had his beholds. (laughs) He had one in verse 17, and he had twice in verse 24. And when he's praying and saying, God, there's nothing too hard from you, he, he says, God, behold, three times in his text, three times. Two of them you can see in English in verse 17. You can't, but it's there. And what he's saying is, God, hey, look at this. Behold means get your attention, God. Take a look at what's happening. God, explain this to me. And so he says, God, I believe you can do anything, but look at what's happening. How can this be when you can do everything? God does the same thing to Jeremiah. He reissues the same words. Is there anything too hard for me? And then he says to Jeremiah, now it's your turn to look in what I'm doing. And the way I'm doing it. God, see, I want you to listen to this because here's what you think it means, but here's what I say it means. Let me help you reinterpret what it means to be God. For me to have the ability to do anything because what he's going to impress on Jeremiah is what he wants to impress on you and I today is this, that in your tragedies, in your difficulties, in your hard times, in disasters in your life, you have to know two things, not one. 
God is all-powerful, yes, but God is also all-wise. He's all-wise. He says, Jeremiah, I understand your questions. I get your feelings. I understand it, but I want to tell you something you don't know about what it means for me to be able to do anything. You don't really know how I work. Let me explain that to you. The little phrase, is there anything too hard for God? Anything too hard? The word hard is the Hebrew word palah, and it means wonderful. We said it a few weeks ago. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Wonderful is a word. It means extraordinary. It's translated sometimes miracles. It's, it's translated things that you can, God does supernaturally. It's God's power. And here's what he says. Is there anything too wonderful for me? Is there anything too difficult for me? Is there anything that's too extraordinary that I can't handle? And the answer is rhetorically, of course, God says no. No, there's not. But let me show you how that little word is used in the Old Testament. Gideon was threshing wheat basically in a cave because he was hiding out from the Midians in Judges 6. Seven years he had been hiding out because every time at the harvest season they would come and steal all their food. And it was hard for Israel to survive. So he's actually threshing something you do out in the opening. He was doing in a hidden place in a cave. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Behold, or, or hail, mighty man of valor. Gideon is anything but a mighty man of valor. And he asks God this question. He says, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Sound familiar? If the Lord is with us, like Jeremiah, when, what's going on? Why the bars? Why the Babylonians? For his, it's the Midianites. Why are they there? Why do they keep stealing our food year after year after year? It's miserable for us. If God's for us, why is this happening? And then he says this, and where are all his wonderful deeds? Same word as hard. Where are all God's miraculous things? Where's God's power? Why isn't he doing something about our situation? Same book, a few chapters later. Judges 13. 40 years they've been under the oppressive thumb of the Philistines. No freedom. It's been horrible. The angel of the Lord again appears, this time to a man, actually his wife first, Manoah's wife. But the Bible makes it very clear in Judges 13 too that she is barren and she cannot have a ch child. Impossible situation. And so he first appears to her, and then he appears to her a second time, and she goes, gets her husband, and he comes to her. And, and, and so he talks and has this dialogue with God about what God is doing and how is it possible for his wife to have a son when she's barren. And, and, and he says, and what is your name? He asked the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says this, why do you ask my name seeing that it's wonderful? extraordinary, supernatural. Do you know, you can't ask my name to ask or, or say someone's name in the Bible was to have authority over them. And he says, listen, I have authority. The angel Lord, it was, it's Jesus. You, you can't ask my name. It's too supernatural for you, he says. Thirdly, Sarah in Genesis 18, 14. The only other time the identical question, is there anything too hard for the Lord, is asked in Scripture. Jeremiah and Sarah. You know the case. Sarah standing outside the, tor the tent. 
Abraham is talking with the Lord and two of the messengers or angels that came with him. And the, and, and the angel of the Lord says to, to Abraham, this time next year, your, your wife Sarah is going to have a son. And the Bible says she's outside the door, doesn't think anyone hears her, and she laughs. And, and God calls her on it and said, why does your wife laugh? And she says, oh, I didn't laugh. She did laugh. She was too embarrassed. You know why? In the text it says she was barren, and here's the phrase, and she was advanced in years, the way of women had ceased with her. <laughs> that was a nice way of saying she's way too old to have children. Why do I go through all those examples? You know why? Listen, when the phrase, is there anything too hard for God, is used, it's always in a situation of weakness. See, Gideon, he couldn't beat the Midianites they had been losing for seven years, but God called him a mighty man of valor. See, Manoah, he, he, he couldn't have a son, a son. His wife was barren, but God said, you will, and he made it real. And, and see, Sarah laughed. It was so outrageous that the God who could do anything would actually do something in her life when she was way past having children, and she laughed at the possibility because here's what the principle is for whether it's Manoah, whether it's Gideon, whether it's Sarah, whether it's Jeremiah, here it is. God does his wonders in our weakness. See? So we shouldn't just call it Prayer Week, W-E-E-K. It should be Prayer Week, W-E-A-K. Because here's what God is looking for in our disaster as a church, in our pandemic, in our personal disasters that we face. You know what he's looking for? He's looking to display his wonders in your weakness. He wants you to display his glory. He doesn't want you to think that you have it all together. He doesn't want to think that you to think that you can handle it. And so whether it was coming out of Egypt, they couldn't handle that. Whether it was having a child, they couldn't handle that. Whether it was beating the Midianites, the Philistines, whether Jeremiah was the Babylonians, whatever the situation was, it was always in a situation where they could do nothing and they had no hope. So what's the answer to Jeremiah's question? The answer is this. Why would God ask you to buy a piece of land when the Chaldeans are outside the door? The answer is so that you will realize that you can't win the day. Only God can. And so put your hope and trust in him. That's the answer. See? Whether it ever materializes in your life, you don't know what God can do. And yes, he can do anything. He, he, nothing's too hard for him. Listen, God does not have categories of easy and, easy and hard, does, it? does he? For me, I do. I can do history and I can do grammar and I like languages, and that works for me, but I can't do math. I can't do science. See, those are, I have easy and I have hard for me. I can drive a car, easy. I can't fix a car. It's hard for me. I'm really good at eating food, but I'm not so good at making it. <laughs> See, I have categories, don't you? And we can, you have categories of easy and hard, right? God doesn't. He only has easy. That's the only category he has. See, whether it's the Egyptians or the Midianites or the Philistines or the Babylonians, God says, oh yeah, you know, the, the Philistines, that was one thing. But the Egyptians, I don't God isn't like that. God doesn't look at your situation and say, hey, God, God, I pray, oh Lord God, why, when is, is this the year you're going to change my marriage? God, is this the year that you're going to get a hold of my teenager's heart and really turn him around? 
But God, I don't understand. What are you doing? They just seem to get worse. And the more I talk to them, the more difficult it becomes. And we begin to wonder and we have questions and we don't realize. See, God shows his wonders in our weakness. You know what your biggest danger in mine and perhaps as a church is going to be in 2021? That we are too strong. That's why we start every year with prayer week. You know why? It's our public declaration to God. It's our communication to one another that we can't do it. That we're not strong enough to do all the ministries. We're not strong enough to have the finances that we need to do everything God wants. We're not strong enough. And, and, and we could say in a pandemic, see, we, we, can't do, we, we can't do it. And that's the way we should be. Because it's possible to be too strong. You know why Israel had the Babylonians outside the wall? Because they didn't think they needed God anymore. They were too strong. They didn't pray anymore. They didn't come to church. They were idolatrous. And see, in 2021, you, see, here's one, of our weak, here, here's one of our dangers. I don't really need you, God, every day. I, I don't really need to pray today. I, I don't really need your word today. You know, God, hey, Sunday morning, I'm not going to get too serious about church attendance. You know what we're saying? Because I really don't need that. I can handle it. There's a verse that sticks out in my mind, actually blows my mind, about one of the greatest kings in Judah's history, his name was Isaiah, and it has our word in it. Listen to this. Second Chronicles 26, 15 and 16 says this of Uzziah, who had done so many great things. For he was marvelously helped. See it in the text? See the word marvelously? It's our word. Wonderful, difficult, hard, extraordinary. Let me say it. He was supernaturally helped. In other words, he did amazing things. For God in Israel. Till what? Till he was strong. Till he was strong. He, it says, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. See, he believed his own, the, 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 the reports about him. He believed that he was as great as he thought he really was. But he was wrong to his own ruin. See, you know why, how Faith Baptist Church is going to do great things this year? You know how Faith Christian School is going to do great things? You know how you and your family are going to achieve things for God and you're going to grow in your life spiritually? You have to come to this realization. God shows his wonders in my weakness. Not that I'm too strong, but the more I get dependent on him, the more I need him, the more I show it to him. See, I can be too strong. If I'm not praying, I'm too strong. If I'm not coming to church, I'm, I'm, I'm too strong. When I'm not obeying and I'm not living holy, I think I can sit in front of the internet and look at that stuff. I think that I can watch these movies. I think that I can do this and I can hang out with these people. You can't. You're too strong. God says, here's where I want you to get. If you want to see my wonders, you better realize how weak you are. You better see how much you need me. Because at the end of this text, God goes from judgment to all this future promises and what he's going to do. The Babylonians are there. They're going to sack the city. It's going to be burned down. But God says in verses 37 through 34, eight times, eight times he says, I'll gather them. I'll bring them back. I'll make them dwell in safety. I will be their God. I will give them one heart. I will make them an everlasting covenant. I will have them fear me. I'll rejoice in doing them good. I will plant them. You see what he says? I will. I, see, God says, I want you to know. You know why I work through weakness? So when the Babylonians, are, I'm done with them, and I judge them, 
and I bring you back to the land, and I restore all those things, here's what you're going to realize. It wasn't you. It wasn't something you got because you deserved it. It wasn't any power or wisdom and strength in you. It was me. It was me. I brought you out of nothing and made you into what you are. And in verse 42 says, God brought disaster to them. That's the weakness. But he's going to bring good to them. That's the wonder. So this year, as you personally and we enter into 2021, what's your hope? That you can manipulate circumstances? That you can handle it? That you can call in a favor? That you can draw upon strength? You can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? If that's what it's going to be, you see, you're going to be filled with pride and it's going to ruin your life. It's going to ruin your marriage. It's going to ruin your relationship with your kids. Set a pattern that starts today. Two o'clock, we have family prayer time. Pray together. Get on your knees. Tell God that it's your strength I need, not mine, yours. And so I seek you every day. I pray. I read your word. I practice holiness. I serve others. Why? I know that doesn't get you ahead in the world, but God, here's what you're telling them. I understand that, and I'm okay with embracing that weakness. I'm going to obey your word this year like I've never done before. God, because here's what I want. I need you in my life. I need you this year. And intentionally and particularly and purposely, I am going to design ways in my life every day to show you that and demonstrate that. Because there isn't anything too hard for God. In fact, Jeremiah says nothing. But the last thought, God's nothing can be held up by your nothing if you're not careful. See, it said three times, and they did nothing of all that he commanded them. God There's nothing too hard for him, but your nothing could cancel out his nothing because what he won't do is extraordinary things in your wickedness. He will do it in your weakness, but not in your wickedness, not if you turn your back on him. And so the chapter ends with, my people have turned their back from me, it says, and not their face. They didn't pray to me. They turned their back on me saying, I don't really need you. And God says, but the day's coming that I'll not turn away from them and I will not let them turn away from me. See, God can reverse your marriage. I don't know if he will, but he can. God can reverse. He can. The relationship that your child has with God, he can. He can reverse your circumstances. And I, don't, I don't know if he will, but he can because nothing's too hard for him. But he will do it in your weakness when you seek him and you need him and you obey him and you live for him and you're committed to him above all else and God can show his wonders in your weakness. Let's pray. Father, we love the phrase. We love it. Nothing's too hard for you. But we forget how that phrase is enacted in our lives. It's when we believe that everything is too hard for us. See, we have to get both of those. Nothing too hard for you. Everything is too hard for us. And so as a church, we take that seriously. That's why we pray. And we're going to pray this afternoon. And we've designed ways that we're going to pray all throughout this week. But it can't stop there. We have to remember this lesson all year long. And we think that we shouldn't give money because it's going to make us weak. But God, that's when you show your wonders. And we think we can't give our time because we're too tired or... Whatever the reason might be. See, God, that's when we need to give it. Why? Because your wonders are demonstrated in our weakness. Oh, Master, how can we forget that lesson? Because that's how we were saved. Jesus didn't do it in manpower. He died at shame and weakness on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Oh, what a 
Hallelujah, what a Savior. Jesus, thank you for the model and pattern of showing us how to live in the power of God through weakness. May that be true in our lives this year, individually and corporately as a church, that we might see your wonders. And we'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.